I'm always trying to find that one value addition that wouldn't have been there otherwise in that very in dish. The recipe. Yeah, in the ah. recipe. That small little change that that makes a massive difference is, you know, what I'm always looking for and I'm always on that hunt. We started off with uh, with Ritik Roshan's family. Post mm-hmm. that, we, we moved on to uh, Ranveer Singh, uh, Shahid mm-hmm. Kapoor, Aditya Roy Kapoor. Then we moved to the whole Dharma clan that was mm-hmm. uh, that was Alia Bhatt, Varun Dhawan and all of these guys. Do you know what is common between Ritik Roshan, Karan Johar and Ranveer Singh? Besides the fact that they belong to fabulous Indian film industry, they also have a common celebrity chef. Chef Mo, who is also, by the way, the guest of India's first graphology-based leadership show called Absolutely Right. Hi there, my name is Aditi Sarana. I'm a behavioral analyst, a high-performance coach and founder of India's first mental gym called APT. The website is aptmentalgym.com. Mohit Sarwar Gaukar is a co-founder of Pod Supply. He says, like me, he works with high performers to achieve their fitness and aesthetic body goals. He has worked with many lead actors to make sure that they create the kind of body their role demands. And all of this without compromising on the nutrition or the taste of the food. That's what makes Mohit so special. After completing his master's in New Zealand, instead of choosing a path of safety by taking a job or doing something that everyone else was doing, Mohit chose to start a company that served meals which were healthy and tasty. And that was done with a specific requirement in mind. I'll be analyzing Mohit's handwriting, so without further ado, let's get this conversation started. It always helps if you have your or someone else's handwriting with you. As I talk about specific traits, you might find something revealing about yourself in your own handwriting. The technique of handwriting analysis is also known as graphology. If you haven't heard about this term, check it out. It's a very, very accurate way of studying the psychological makeup of another person. Let's get started. Hi, Mohit. Welcome to Absolutely Right. Thank you. Thank you, Aditi. Thank you for calling me on the show. I'm so curious to know about your food philosophy, your work in being a chef that you have been and feeding some amazing people that we have known. And the fact that you have done that part and have chosen now a newer path. So there's so much to talk about. So for our listeners, the show is based on graphology, which is study of handwriting analysis and also leadership. So we invite some amazing people on the show and we decode their personalities and identify what they're doing right about their life, about their situations, about their decision-making that we can implement in our lives. So if you want to make the most of it, make sure that you have your own handwriting sample next to you while I analyze Mohit's handwriting. So yeah. the first thing that comes to my mind is when you write, say, a sentence, every letter goes little up, goes little down, goes up, goes down. You can look at, you know, you can look at your own handwriting. So that imaginary line on which we write when we are asked to write on an unruled sheet of paper, we call it baseline. Now, what does that mean is, is many moments of impulse take over. So for example, if you're say cooking a recipe, you know what you're cooking and what will you do, all of that. But in the moment, a lot of other ideas inspire you. And you are one of those, those kind of chefs who would look at things and find a way to incorporate that new idea. 
and still land up achieving some amazing results yeah i i mean that actually is absolutely true the thing is that i am naturally a very distracted person to be very honest mm-hmm. and i have this uh, and and you know like i have this thing that the food that i cook it is a thing for chefs usually mm. so the food that they cook they don't end up usually eating it yeah i mean they don't like eating it this is a very big you know this is like a very big insider language of chefs so oh. they never eat, yeah so they never eat their own food you know the fanciest food that they make or that they put out on the plate they are always happy eating their dal khichdi at the end of the day yeah, you know that's yeah true. And, yeah and that happens to most of our moms too if you realize that yeah, yeah you know i mean yeah they don't end up eating the amount of food that others end up eating right yeah and that is because it gets exhaustive after a period of time so for me like you know i mean i'm always trying to find that one value addition that wouldn't have been there otherwise in that very dish. in the recipe yeah in the uh. recipe so how do i make it better how do i you know so i mean something as simple as adding kasuri methi to your chole yeah it just gives okay. it a very different twist it just gives it a very different taste and all the flavors just you know they just all pop out once you add a little bit together. of kasuri yeah they all just come together and that kasuri methi absolutely binds together but no one uses kasuri methi in their chole you know mm. so yeah so i mean just that small little change that that makes a massive difference is you know what i'm always looking for and i'm always on that hunt so what is that i don't know so i just keep on experimenting with whatever i have in front of me and yeah i just try and see like as to how it turns out so the interesting part here is if you wouldn't have chosen cooking as your career and if yeah. you had to be very focused and in a 9 to 5 job you would have hated every minute of it because this is not how you think naturally yeah absolutely not like i just can't sit 9 to 5 at a place and i can't have fixed timings yeah that is another thing that like you can't like make me like wake up every day at 7 o'clock and then 9 o'clock you know take your bag and and reach office and 5 o'clock come home i just can't do that you know i mean i can i can give in probably like 10 12 hours a day yeah but uh, and and i and i and i like my own time and my freedom to like you know do things so when i have that i feel that i can give the best results yeah it it brings out the best in me it doesn't make me time bound because i somewhere you know down the line like deep inside i feel that time is absolutely an illusion yeah mm, that true. yeah that we that we that we try and like you know tie ourselves down to mm. and uh, i mean i agree that you know like time again like people say that time is everything but time again is the biggest illusion is what i feel so for me even if i have a thought at like 11 pm about some recipe or some dish or whatever i have the freedom to make that dish or at least jot it down and write it down and that right. is really not work so if i'm forced to like you know think of a recipe from 9 to 5 i probably won't be able to do it you need to have the right inspiration yeah you need to be in the right frame of mind you need right. to have yeah you need to maybe just feel it for that very moment to basically make it happen so mohit when we talk about you know like people generally ask me do i have good traits in my personality or bad traits in my personality i never understood that question ever and yeah. i always say that as long as your work is consuming your strengths and weaknesses or you can right. apply yourself in a certain manner it's absolutely fine there is no right or wrong good or bad personality trait per se now yeah, in your I- case though we spoke about you being distracted i also know that when you started your first venture you worked for almost 14 15 hours right so how did that go tell us about it 
I mean, so for the first about like uh, six months, so you know this whole thing, uh, it actually started. So I mean, there was this one trainer here in Bombay, mm-hmm. and she was writing a book on healthy recipes. And I was just mm-hmm. back from New Zealand after my post grad and working there for like about three four years. I was just back in Bombay, and she needed someone to uh, like you know finalize the book, just add add correct a chef's, the recipe, yeah, correct the recipes, add a chef's perspective to it, and all of that. So I started with that. I started doing that. and uh, that was like about a one one and a half month project and while while i was doing all of that she was training a few celebrities uh, in bombay so she had basically she could only control one hour of their day which was in the gym that she used to spend with them the remaining 23 hours was a big problem to control out of which say for example they sleep for about 6 to 7 hours a day and still there was a you know like a lag of 16 hours that she wanted to control over and that control was completely based on what they were fueling themselves up with right. yeah, which was which was the food because mm. spending one hour in the gym sleeping for 8 hours and then eating rubbish was something that wouldn't work so it all had to absolutely be in sync so to do that we used to work with this one girl she used to work with ioc that is the international olympic committee she was based out mm. of zurich directly uh, giving diets out to michael phelps and all the olympic gold winners wow. yeah she was basically there she herself was a high performance nutritionist the people from tour de france had visited us when she was consulting us wow. and and yeah and there were eight of them they would eat 9000 calories a day yeah okay because, because that is the amount of calories that they would burn and, so i mean and what would what would be an average person's calorie intake just for our listeners to have a context oh ju- uh, it would be it would be somewhere between 1200 to 2000 calories depending on your everyday physical Activities. activity yeah and how how you know how you go about with your whole day but 1200 to 2000 is is what you know on a, a normal everyday human being needs depending right. on yeah depending on their uh, their everyday activities pretty much the segment is my favorite because graphology is the love of my life it's not about predicting future it's not about making some heavy claims or judging people it's simply about understanding the micro choices your brain and your body is making and reading those signals to understand what's happening inside your heart and in your mind after almost 19 years that i have been in this profession i have come to realize that this subject is not only accurate it's phenomenal for us to do the coaching need analysis for any leader now if you look at someone's handwriting as a leader as a spouse as a parent you might discover some interesting insights about the people you think you know and i mean it we think we know these people but until you know who they are for real you will be surprised how many layers people carry around now today's stroke of graphology is the size of the writing if you find someone writing that tiny little handwriting out there as if a few ants are crawling on the page where you cannot read what is written not because it's illegible in terms of you know simple lines or threads or the words are missing but because the size of the writing is really really small 
then know that this person is amazing with their ability to concentrate or focus on things. They're not great at social conversations. They feel intimidated by people who are very pally, who get into a conversation easily. They take time. They breathe in. They're not necessarily introverts, but they're shy people. Because shy people are kind of scared to hold a conversation. They do not know what to say, how to go about it. Introverts on the other side know how to have conversations, but they feel extremely exhausted post that. So if you find someone's writing really tiny, then simply know that the person is amazing with research. They sometimes get so obsessed with these little details that they tend to miss the entire forest for a tree. And if you have this small handwriting, remember that you need to always find micro projects in a big project that you're working on. If too much of information, if too broad a task is given to you, it is definitely overwhelming for you. I hope you put this information to use and not only look at your own writing, but check out other people's handwriting samples. After three months of wait, the next batch starts in April 2022. If graphology is as fascinating for you as it is for me, then do join me and check out how graphology can reveal some unbelievable truth about you. I'm looking at your handwriting sample and uh, there are two interesting aspects about your lowercase letter T. So the two types, one is where the T is the horizontal line is placed at a 50% and second is where it is placed around at 90%, like towards the top of the letter. Now, what it means is a person with a vision of very short-term specific objective and a long-term vision, which is really unreachable, in, in, impractical for other people. And you swing between the two. Sometimes you become a completely taskmaster kind of a person who would look at every single step on the journey and to a point of micromanaging it. And then, and it happens rarely than not, where you step away and you overlook an entire project and you come up with ideas that people mostly cannot even envisage. And those ideas, which have happened at least four or five times in your career, have changed the way you went about your journey compared to any other chef who was you know, really good at his work or her right. work. Your journey shifted because right. of those huge interventions that happened where you went in like a bird's eye view. Right. So yeah, I mean, that is, that is absolutely true to be very You have honest. to say absolutely right on our show. Okay. Yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely right. Because uh, I mean, one thing that I that I really shy away from is basically to do, you know, like what conventionally all other people do. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is something that I just cannot settle for. And right. I don't want to settle for it ever. Yeah. Give us that, an example. I mean, a normal chef's life is basically you graduate out of school, you look for internship at one of the major brands, which are five-star hotels, and then you start work with them. Then you get absorbed as a management trainee. Once you're absorbed as a management trainee, then the road to becoming an executive chef, like, you know, is a 10, 12 year old road. Once you reach there, then, you know, you're in that whole process of just switching properties and then, you know, just ending up at the most 
at the best property owned by that brand yeah that right. is that is what a conventional route is now right. with things changing with you know with ott platforms with youtube catching up yeah there are many who are going towards getting into digital like you know digital creation content yeah content creation then there are many who are also coming up with food startups where you know where your where your uh, where the initial investment is not that high so cloud kitchens are like really catching up but when i graduated like you know back in 2010 this was not the case at all you know yeah wow. so content yeah content creation and also coming up with like a leaner uh, delivery model of a food brand or any so these ideas did not exist hmm. yeah so i was always looking for something that was not conventional what everyone else was not doing and i'm okay to take that risk so when i was basically when i was when i done my internship i was interning at jibdo marriott in juhu Suppose that I was also working in New Zealand. So when I took up my job in New Zealand, also I worked at a I worked with a core group of hotels for just six months. Mm-hmm. The remaining two and a half years, I was actually working at a salmon farm. I was working at an apple farm. Wow. Uh, then I was work. Then I was working at a plum farm. I was working at a tomato farm. So there was this one Sardarji family who used to own this massive piece of land over there. And I mean, I would just go there and and I would just do picking of these fruits. But mm-hmm. while doing picking of these fruits and animals in terms of like salmon, you would right. just end up learning so much about what? the yeah about that plant or about about anything else. So like you know when apples grow in threes and then the, so out of them one male fruit and then there are these two female fruits. Okay. Yeah, the male is just there to protect the females from the sunlight, and then that turns red first, uh-huh. and then you have to pluck it and you have to throw it away. So the apple juice, so the apple juice that we drink is made out of the male plants, yeah. And what we eat oh. are usually, yeah, are usually the female plants, the okay. uh, the female fruits basically. So Mohit, you did something phenomenal. Not only running this central cloud kitchen, but you also started cooking for some specific people, <laughs> right. uh, as per their requirements. So tell us right. more about that engagement that you have had with the. Uh, Okay. Very very interesting yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So I mean, this whole thing started off with with Bollywood celebrities. I mean, you know, who were my headlining clients? They were people who you know whose aesthetic would actually you know make them money. Number one. Mm, yeah. Right. Number two is that they really wanted to feel good about themselves throughout the whole day. Mm. Yeah. That was number two. Number three was that. that what they were eating i mean it was having a direct impact as to how they looked yeah how good professionally or how, or how well they looked yeah on screen and off screen too so the, that is when we really hit it off with the film fraternity we started off with uh, with ritik roshan's family post mm-hmm. that we we moved on to uh, ranveer singh uh, shahid mm-hmm. kapoor aditya roy kapoor then we moved to the whole dharma clan that was mm-hmm. uh, that was alia bhat varun dhawan and all of these guys so so once we started off like you know in the first 5 6 months we had all of these clients yeah but making keeping your service sticky was something that was really important right because anyone could just come try your service and then just drop it yeah right. so we had to so earlier when we started off with things you know we were just looking at it as someone's macronutrient requirement mm. we were not getting to the core of understanding as to what an actor needs to look like during a movie so mm. giving you context in terms of this is that ranveer singh shot two movies back to back one mm. was simba and next one was gali boy okay yeah so in simba he had to look like a massive beefed up 
police inspector right yeah and in gully boy he had to look like you know like a gully boy gully boy uh, yeah 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 he had to look like a gully boy and the difference that we and the time frame that we had between these two movies was just about like 25 28 days oh my yeah. god so getting him down from 76 kilos to 70 kgs you know was a major challenge right yeah so even though he's training and, even though and it's not only about 6 kgs is about the entire look changing and yeah the looking. yeah the entire look changes and then you know in at one place he's wearing these tight uh, tight police uniforms in one mm-hmm. movie and in the other one he's wearing these loose shirts Right. Yeah, so there is there was no way that he could look the same. And right. and post Gully Boy, he had to enter a phase where he was starting to shoot for eighty three, where he had to look like Kapil Dev, which right. was even which was even more like you know leaner and taller. Hmm. Yeah. So then after a period of time, like you know, we started really working hand in hand with the with the celebrities and hmm. understanding as to what the role demands out of them, hmm. and how do we achieve it. yeah right. because yeah so then once we got into that very phase you know there was a lot of trust that was built mm-hmm. and over a period of time you know hair makeup yeah there was a chef also added to that whole clan really whole yeah of that whole okay. of a celebrity so and, you and your team started traveling with these people to sh- to cook for them when they're yeah, on the shoot yeah to cook for them yeah absolutely so uh, so i mean wherever there used to be an outdoor shoot or even a shoot in bombay yeah our chef is always placed with them mm. with these celebrities and then the chef cooks exactly as per the requirements of the client so for our listeners if they have to think about say five things that they should keep in mind when it comes to their diet their body because they do not have such specific requirements right. but because they want to be these high performing individuals if you have to come up with five things they should keep in mind which otherwise dietitians or people in your field chefs do not talk about what would they be five things that you need to uh, that you need to look at uh, to keep okay so i think all the five things are the same that huh? eat okay. a, eat eat a balanced <laughs> diet Okay. Yeah, you were taught about this, you know, in your second or third grade in school, the importance <laughs> of a balanced diet. Yeah, okay. it really, it really just goes back to that. Yeah, and okay. what do I mean by balanced diet is whatever you eat, do not overdo anything. Yeah, do not fall for fads. Fads mm-hmm. are fine for you know for a strategic time. Yeah, mm-hmm. it should it, the fad should come with a strategic time. So mm-hmm. so say for example, if you want to do if you want to like you know go for a keto diet or any of that, you can do it for twenty one days, but that that cannot be a lifestyle. Yeah, so mm-hmm. you should really understand that like you know because people what they do is that they keep on going on and off diets, mm-hmm. which is really bad. What works the most is sustained amount of eating throughout your lifespan. So whenever I, I mean diet, this diet is a thing that that is human made. that we have come up with but we should try and eat things that we know that we can eat every day okay. yeah what does and that mean that, yeah so i mean just to give you an example of your everyday uh, like uh, yeah of your everyday diet you should just include the right amount of proteins carbs and fats in your everyday body now what that requirement is that i mean you can just go online or you can consult any dietitian and mm-hmm. and he or she will give you that amount now what we need to do is that we just need to we don't have to sit and like count our calories or count or count our food or measure our food mm-hmm. yeah usually as a thumb rule what we do is that you know you just have to like close your fist you have to eat that amount of of carbs on okay. your plate yeah that mm-hmm. amount of protein on your plate 
and that amount of of vegetables on your plate yeah once you do that i think that is absolutely a balanced way of eating so say for example if you just close your fist and mm. you eat that much chicken that is like a bowl of chicken yeah right. if you eat that much amount of rice that is one mm. bowl of cooked rice and right. if you add those many vegetables on the side yeah your mm. your meal is absolutely like you know uh, like on point now people who don't eat chicken or don't eat uh, any of the meat sources they can just eat one bowl of dal yeah and it's absolutely fine like you know it just works with your body absolutely well you know you can live a happy life that's mm-hmm. it you don't have to chase you don't have to chase numbers you don't have to chase the weighing scale you don't have to mm-hmm. chase inches yeah you don't have to chase your bmi yeah mm-hmm. all of that all of that is actually for professionals yeah mm-hmm. who for whom you know it does matter where the numbers can be crunched and you know they can get their peak performance out but for everyday individuals which is about like say 90 to 95% of the population of the world right. they just need to eat right that's it hmm. yeah and cut out all the fads and the rubbish yeah from their everyday meals that is just the best way of doing it you know rather than measuring your food or doing any of that just close your fist and see the quantity like you know does it match to to the size of your fist if it does you have done a good job with your meal the absolutely right podcast the large part of the conversation is a live high performance coaching session so when people ask me questions what i do is i give them feedback but giving feedback is a tricky game because you might end up saying something that you don't mean or the person might interpret the same message the same lesson in a different manner altogether the solution of that was created when the term feed forward was coined and you say oh what kind of word plays this aditi feed forward feedback as long as you convey what you have to say that the problem is solved in a way yes but in a way no because it's not only a word play that we are talking about but feed forward is where you start talking about what can you do what can you change how can you make the process better and i feel so many times in a conversation when people trust you they want you to feel as if they are part of your team or you are on their side as a leader it's an essential part when people think that you work as a team and the problem that you're facing is in front of you most of the time when people receive feedback they feel as if they're sitting in this court where everyone else is judging them or there to pass some verdict on their character or their behavior or their choices so people have their defenses up when people have defenses up let me tell you there is no conversation to hold a real conversation to to connect with the other person you have to make sure that you do not have your guards up and you are not offending the other person you literally become a team with that person and keep the problem in front of you and while doing that the skill of feed forward is very very important is where you really look at the problem even in their choices and think about what all the other person can do when you walk into any conversation wanting to choose more expand the space give people the room to try something new that they have never done they understand the intent and commitment that you have towards them and towards finding a solution to their problem Let's get back to our conversation with Mohit. I hope this little insight on feed forward helps you discuss some uncomfortable things next time that you're confronted with. 
the first question that I have for you is that how does one learn to say no to people? Oh, and why do you ask that question? Ah, uh, why did I ask you this question? Is because I feel that I struggle a lot with saying no to people. Like you know, I empathize. I end up empathizing a lot. Uh, so instantly, if someone comes to me with a situation. i drop myself in their shoes you know and mm. i try and i understand the situation and so maybe to avoid conflict or maybe to mm. avoid confrontation or you know i don't know if i'm putting it right in in these words mm. but maybe this is this is the underlying idea why i i struggle to say a no personally give us an example yeah so say for example like you know you have processed the salaries of your chefs in the last week of the month and then you move on to the next month and in the first couple of weeks you know you have you always have these two three chefs or like two three employees or two three people from your team who always come up and you know who are falling short of money or who have some medical emergency or who have or whatever whatever that is they have some or the other reason and they are the same people you know who keep on coming back to you yeah mm. and you know they are again in need of money so mm. so say for example if they come to me i end up just giving it yeah without mm. thinking too much yeah mm. but as a business decision or as an employer yeah it is not a great idea to do it yeah right. because that is what number one i have been told by my coaches and mm. by also others you know my other co-founders and the other people working in my of team course. and i have also gone to the extent of like you know not taking it from the company and giving it from my own pocket at times mm. yeah like even though they work for the company so mm. because of I mean, I I really find it a little difficult to say no at times, like mm. a direct no, and that is, and then know know the reason also because that is you know I'm just trying to avoid confrontation at times. So I mean, I'm just trying to like you know uh, find a way to like you know to reduce this habit maybe. Okay, so graphologically speaking, people who struggle to say no would have a peculiar stroke in their writing where the second hump of the letter M. in michael i call it michael jackson's m because he had that one the second hump is taller than the first one so if you have that m you typically struggle to say no because you cannot reject people because internally you fear rejection back so if you fear that if i say no to someone now <coughs> they may turn around and would say no to me in the future and you can't handle that rejection or they may abandon this friendship abandon this marriage because they feel rejected so all of that happens now in your case i kept looking but i do not find any of that which means the struggle of saying no has nothing to do with confrontation issues okay and we have to go deeper and understand this because if it would have been that simple we would have said oh okay because you fear rejection you can't say no and this is how it works but in your case you are very comfortable saying no when you are convinced about why are you saying it but when it comes to these employees or their requirements you fundamentally i think do not believe that people should get paid in a certain manner Right. or this whole cycle of oh this many hours and this much money i think you you personally don't believe in it and thereby right. if someone needs more money you think but if i need more money i would go and figure a way if they need money why would i not why shouldn't i do it so it right. is not about the struggle to say no as much as about not being convinced about the constructs in which the society works or right. businesses run 
so if you just think about other situations where people said something or asked something of you and you didn't agree with it you very politely said no and i also bring in another aspect when you write your letter m in your signature and even in normal writing many times it looks like these pointed strokes the right. first and second hump is almost like a needle pointing stroke and right. the middle portion it looks like a letter u correct right so there are two points and there is a u formation in the right. middle now this is a very common stroke but uh, not very common in terms of uh, many many leaders i have found having this stroke this means multiple things and i'm going to describe it for you to probably find the context okay. it means that you are amazing with giving solutions to other people about their problems but you might not be able to implement the same solution it means you walk into a situation and you are highly observant about what is off what is on what is going there you read the room very quickly beyond your conscious efforts and you understand the emotional needs that people present and thereby and you are functioning your decision making style is highly driven by emotions so you are impulsive otherwise even while you know deciding your recipes or things that we were talking about and also you are driven by impulse or emotions and empathy to understand where the person is operating from so if you put all of that together and if you make decisions very fast with your quick observations i think it is only natural for you to understand a situation and do what you think is correct in the moment and just act on it and you might have done those things for others more than you have done that for yourself there is no question here as such i just wanted to know as to like you know how would you define success as a graphologist how would you define success for yourself and for other people like just that very term because that term is so relative and so subjective completely yeah. still we hear it we are bombarded with that term day in and day out you know any motivational speaker you follow any anything else that you look at you any any youtube videos you watch yeah there is i mean anything to do with business with 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 being an entrepreneur or with being someone who is looking for coaching like you know success is something that he is just piled upon his head so i'm just trying to understand as to what your definition is of it yeah how would you define it for yourself and for other people also so uh, i would wear the the hat of a high performance coach because i've been pursuing studying people who are like you know really functioning at that level and one thing i've learned from them that they can walk into the highest peak performance mindset on a cue and i think that's fabulous like they have trained themselves in a manner their bodies their minds in a way that they can step into that level of high performance on a cue so if you you see these uh, artists singers performers or even sports persons you know they actually are like doing their normal thing the very moment they step into that zone that turned on and that is something that i feel is a skill based idea of success the second idea of success is how happy and i would not happy is, is a wrong word how joyful are you in that moment because so many times while going through the toughest problem solving moment or the most challenging situation you know that at some level you feel you're in control or you're completely calm or you're so engaged with it it doesn't matter but that level of connection i feel is success so sometimes you're doing things you're getting results people are clapping for you but you know there is no connection like that and for me and for many people i have studied and worked with i have seen they make huge life decisions when they don't feel connected to things they do 
and that is a very honest vulnerable space that they acknowledge yeah i have a i have a friend who is a tennis player so you know i had discussed the same question with him like a few mm-hmm. months ago when i was just playing with him just after post the lockdown we were just going for a session to just go around and hit some ball around mm-hmm. and i and uh, he was an under 19 champion for india he used to play internationally he was a under 16 under 19 champion and after that you know he lost touch with with the game and uh, okay. then then corporate life like took over he became a lawyer and all of that and then in this during this lockdown you know we had a lot of time to basically sit down and think that is one thing right. that we had during this lockdown of course so the, you know that is when he sat down and he just thought he's like you know why did i give up on something that i was really so good at you know to chase what to chase numbers or to chase what you know he mm-hmm. he couldn't find the answer and he's like you know i just want to get back to it now that's it so i just asked him like you know what is it that you're chasing now in terms of tennis mm-hmm. so he's like you know more there was this one moment this one point of time on the court you know where i used to reach this one level of heartbeat or like breath mm. yeah and he's like post that i would just perform he's like after that nothing was voluntary right yeah, he's like everything else he's like all yeah involuntary he's like all my coaching all my lessons everything just we would just go out of the uh, like you know out of the door and i was just present in that moment wow. breathing and he's like that only that very breath and me and he's like my hands and my legs moving he's like that state of mind he's like i've never ever achieved that post you know quitting uh, you know at the age of 18 Mm-hmm. and he's like i'm really seeking that right now and he's like if i get that i don't want a trophy yeah i do not wow. I, yeah i do not want to like you know win at any games or any of that he's like the day that i find that the day that i get that he's like i'll be successful with my tennis that's exactly what i said that intense involvement in the moment and connection with the activity and having knowing how to create that breath where you can just by choice on a cue can step into that breath and and activate what uh, a researcher psychologist calls a flow zone his name is right. mihai chiksen mihai and he did this huge work on high performers what do they do they step into the state of flow where they are not themselves they are performing at this you know dramatically magical level and he refers to what your friend described is exactly what he refers to as a state of flow i hope all of us have more and more moments like that yeah. i think so many times while analyzing handwriting while doing coaching sessions i feel i step into that zone and i've been doing it for like almost my entire life for last 18 years as an adult whole adult life and those moments happen and where you know that you're not necessarily thinking and talking and you're just in that flow so what is that for you um for me that is actually you know that state of just just being at the kitchen table like cooking something that i mean just every day cooking also like you know i mm-hmm. i end up reaching this this state of flow you know where i'm away from all distractions mm-hmm. i'm away from anything that is happening you know around me mm-hmm. all that i know are the ingredients and the flame so and that happens to me while i'm playing poker also you know mm-hmm. i i tend to switch off a lot from what is happening around me and mm-hmm. that focus is so 100% i consciously try to reach that stage mm-hmm. every day but i'm not able to honestly i'm working on it uh, yeah i am really working on it every day but uh, i mean the day that i reach there you know mm-hmm. like every i mean the the days that i reach there that i that mm-hmm. i get to that very state yeah 
there is a sense a major sense of fulfillment at the end of the session yeah Absolutely. even though whatever whether it is a profitable one or a loss making one whatever that is that is completely irrelevant whether your but recipe turns out right or wrong you don't right care about wrong. it yeah yeah you don't care about it but there is this one sense of satisfaction that you know not just not that satisfaction of trying mm. but trying you know like not 100 but 1000% yeah and being in that state you know like experiencing that state and even in that very state if you make a wrong decision it doesn't hurt you doesn't matter Absolutely. yeah it doesn't matter yeah it doesn't matter because you know that this is where you could get yeah that and was your you... superlative self any which way yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you so much mohit this was very very interesting there are so many parts to this conversation and especially looking at food in a different light and thank you for simplifying it for all of us thank you thanks a lot ivy thanks for having me on the show thank you so much for joining us one more time on this unique podcast if you have any questions about graphology about your mental fitness or even your emotional challenges do check out the websites where we talk a lot about it and also my instagram handle which is by my name aditi surana the website is aditisurana.com and aptmentalgym.com I'll see you on Wednesday with one more episode of the Absolutely Right podcast till then happy writing